My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. My first ever encounters with freshwater fish were with perch. Lots of perch, in fact. I was fishing worm under a float off one of the wooden jetties at Windermere and I would suggest that the reason why I was so successful was that certainly small perch, when they are about in good numbers, are not particularly difficult fish to catch. That was back in the mid-1960s. I remember it very clearly because I'd gone up on the train with another lad from my school as part of our Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme work as both of us had fishing as our chosen hobby. But within no time at all after that visit, perch throughout the entire UK were little more than a distant memory, from which it would take many years to recover. Shallow ulcer disease took the country's perch population by storm and was absolutely merciless, taking out a good 99% of the species, leaving just a few seemingly hardier resistant individuals isolated about the place from which to start the long recovery. On a more positive note now, Numbers are back, and have been for quite a few years. The Cumbrian lakes are also once again starting to fill up with the things, with Bassenthwaite in particular renowned for its quality fish. But the pattern of distribution, certainly when it comes to the bigger fish, has radically changed. Though not an out-and-out perch specialist, Mike Winrow, who joins us here, has over the years caught a lot of specimens in the 3-4 pound bracket, and as such has a good handle on what it takes now to specifically target a large perch. So to kick things off, can we first look at the environmental needs of the species, leading up to the reasons why and how the balance of power between specimens and the smaller shoaling relatives has changed over recent time? Well... I think the recovery from it, and as you said, it really was an overnight sort of thing. I remember the lake I fished, it was actually more in the late 70s, but it was one of them things, and suddenly overnight, and you never saw a dead one or anything, and it was only later on that you realised what had sort of happened. It, I don't know, the disease was... It wasn't sort of common knowledge in some ways, I don't know quite how. But anyway, as I said, the water we fished, it just died off overnight. And since then... Well, I think the recovery at the start was quite a, a long, slow process. Like now, sort of as we do this interview, and certainly for the last few years, this has been the time to catch big perch or whatever. There's numbers of waters produce them. You can get the angling press every week, the angling times, anglers mail, and you will get probably four or five big perch reported, sort of like three, four pound pluses, mitts, sometimes even bigger. But they're all across the entire country, that's the one thing you tend to notice. And from a real range of waters, like one sort of water that's a new one, since the perch disease is the commercial fisheries. And of course the thing with those is that they're not stocked with pike, but they will get quite a lot of silverfish in them. And so if they do have perch, there's plenty of scope for the perch to be the top predator in the lake. Now you certainly need to find the sort of waters that do have the perch in but of course these days with things like the internet and so on you can do a lot of research you can talk to other anglers you could even give the owner of the lakes a ring it seems to be with perch it's like getting a start but as regards to recovery i get the feeling that what people are catching these days are probably the second or even third generation fish certainly throughout the 80s you heard very little at all but then 
probably in the mid-90s, the record was actually broken. I think it was actually a young lad, and he was just winding his floating with his maggots, and this purchase was about £5, I think it was £5.9 in fact, grabbed the maggots. So that would have been one of the first generation of fish. But perhaps in those days there weren't so many, so you were waiting for that generation to breed, and then you got the second generation. Then finally now, you may well be even on the third generation, but we seem to have hit almost a sweet spot where you've got a situation where the fish are recovering, there's been plenty of food for them, which is what you need for any fish to grow big, but you've also had the lack of competition as well, if you see what I mean. Whereas obviously back in the 60s and so on, 70s, you thought of lots of waters had lots of small perch. Whereas these days I can't say certainly in the ones I've fished in this country that you still get lots and lots of them one after another. It's not like in your introduction where it sounds like the Lake District, some of the lakes are absolutely full of them. I love the way you call them the things actually. <laughs> they must have been <laughs> drive you to distraction while you're trying to catch what you really want to catch but yeah they seem to come these days they seem to come from almost anywhere really like you can get the really big waters like the reservoirs places like Grafham Reservoir for example have been noted for quite a long time and I know people that perch fish that I don't know if they're supposed to allow to but they obviously use the flies and things allowed to catch perch and some of the bigger lakes as well but obviously not all of them it's all it must be down to the amount of food and the competition and all the rest of it and then you get the more smaller i suppose intimate waters you could sort of say maybe the canal network or slow flowing rivers i think they're often a, a good bet and then certainly down south you've now got a lot of rivers have got the red signal crayfish in and Somehow or other, it seems that they definitely produce both bigger chub and perch. Presumably, it's easier for the perch to tackle a crayfish that's shedding its shell or something like that than it is to keep chasing down smaller fish because the, the ecological balance of these rivers has changed dramatically, really. Like, it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out going forward. But yeah, they're mopping up all the invertebrates and the fish eggs but then the perch are able to then feed on the crayfish. And the other thing about some of the southern rivers as well is that abstraction has affected them a lot, or flood relief schemes. So, for example, rivers like the Kennet are very well known for producing big perch, and that's the Kennet and Avon Canal. So anything with a touch of flow, and I fished on the River Lee, this is where I finally found perch after all these years because there are sort of fish that it seems that they can come out anywhere but they're not everywhere if you see what I mean and I say that's where doing the research comes into it but yeah I think slow flowing rivers lowland rivers are often your best sort of bet that's what I would say. So talking here are two totally different potential big fish scenarios Three if we also consider rivers, which can from time to time also throw up the odd big specimen. What is it then that you will be looking for, firstly from a wild water such as the Cumbrian Lakes, a stock day ticket fishery, and finally a river? Well I think the first thing is the information. I suppose you could tackle these things from scratch, and there are ways of trying to search 
output it's like there'll be things like lure fishing and there's a more modern method which seems to have come from the state called drop shotting which seem to be quite effective ways of covering the water quickly and hopefully locate one or two fish and then you can then move on to possibly a better method of catching me numbers it just depends how good i suppose how good a lure fisherman you are I and mean, actually it sounds like drop shotting if you get that if you know how to do that you can get tremendous catches my basic method involves essentially fishing chop worms and lob worms and the fish will home in quickly and i guess we'll come to that in a bit but i think getting a start on a water it's getting the information and as i say you've got things like the angling press match reports are often a very good one certainly for example one of the first places that started producing really big perch and it's kind of almost gone down and back up again now is the upper grey twos and i remember reading match reports where they'd caught 52 pounders in a match now that tells you there's an awful lot of fish there but that's the sort of thing you're kind of looking for you often get waters where people say oh there's big perch in and they'll quote a size, but they've not necessarily caught them themselves. But it's finding the waters that are worth investigating further. As I say, for commercial fisheries, you could just give the owner a ring, and you can also say, would you have any problems if I lure fish? It might not be so brilliant with the other anglers, but certainly this drop shotting, I can't imagine anybody would have too much trouble with that, because that's just like moving a, a lure very slowly through the water. As regards like the bigger waters, well, I think they're probably a law unto themselves. I've never done it, and to be honest, I think you'd be far better off finding articles, because you're saying you're going to be doing things like boat fishing and lure fishing, and I think that's a different breed apart. But as I said, these waters can produce very, very big fish, for definite. For commercials, well, it's just the ones that have the silver fish where you get the odd snippet here and there go down and at least they're a small water so you should be able to determine whether they're worth persevering with any more quite quickly. That's the way to do it. It's almost like the research at home sort of style and then once you've got that there are ways to sort of cover the water reasonably quickly to then determine whether it's then worth persevering further. If the challenge was handed out to you to go out and catch a big perch to order, what would you choose as being your safest bet? Would it be a wild lake, a small private fishery, or maybe even a suitable stretch of river? Probably depends on the sort of water you like fishing, I would have said. Difficult to say, really. I suppose it's just the fact they've got decent fishing, like, okay, commercials are not to everybody's taste. I think you're looking for a water where you know there's numbers of small fish in that would be the main thing as i say you don't want fast flowing water for perch that's for definite so that's why i sort of mentioned the the lowland rivers you want ones with i'd say a number of features if it was just a completely featureless like fenland type river unless there's a big stock of them in there they're going to take some tracking down but if you've got a sort of a water which is steadyish sort of flow with a few features like especially if you've got bushes or things like that they always say around lock cuttings of bridges and so on they do like a bit of structure and certainly where i've had my success it has been on those sort of waters and i suppose that's what i can talk about i think still waters would 
unless they're a small one, they yet again you've got kind of got the size of them. It's kind of covering the water, if you see what I mean, and trying to find the pockets of them because they seem to be a fish where they are in pockets. That's the way they are, and and they follow the silver fish. Are there any subsurface clues you can use for improving your chances with big perch? And if so, how would you go about identifying them? I think this is where it's quite tricky because you don't actually know what's actually going under the water. The, the one thing about perch is that they are a chaser of fish rather than an ambush predator. For example, I used to fish on a canalised stretch of the River Lee and there was different parts to it. It was essentially you'd have the river but it would only flow when there'd been a plenty of rain so essentially in perch conditions it was just like a canal that might just tick along a bit some were deeper than others some were shallower and it flowed a bit more but it didn't seem to make an awful lot of difference as i say you had the odd feature and you would always be attracted to them but you could also find them almost in the middle of nowhere really but it's because you had to know where the small fish were for example, you used to get a lot of boats parked up on the lee, but you never actually used to catch perch down the side, if you see what I mean. The perch were always in the middle of the river. As I said, they were where the small fish were, and the pike were round the side. If you talk to the people that lure fished, that's what they would say. Oh, we tend to catch perch in the middle of the river and pike round the side. To search the fish out, you have you, the sort of two ways you can kind of do it. One is which is on over on the lures which they say they use rubber lures these days and they sort of jig them. They don't tend to spin, which is just like cast out and wind in. They cast out and it will drop to the bottom and I've done it and you'll even get takes on, on the drop because they go for the, the wiggling rubber as it drops to the bottom. And then they jig it along the bottom, lifting up the rod. But sometimes they have a fish a very short rod, they even pull it along the bottom towards them sort of style. So it's a mixture of things like that, and they, they go for the movement. And then the other method, which seems to be very effective, though it's only just getting hold, is this drop shotting, whereby you essentially fish your lure or your lobworm or whatever up the line. You have a, a lead at the end of your line, which kind of anchors it, and then about two, three foot, four foot up your line, you actually tie your lure or your worm direct to the line which sounds very odd because obviously any taking fish is going to get a mouthful of main line as well but you can then just jig that up and down in place if you see what I mean and then you can then move it towards you and you can cover the water a bit more slowly and I know when I lure fished and spinning you've kind of thought am I going through too quickly am I, am I searching the water properly before I move on to somewhere else so that is a good way of doing it and then my basic method, which is essentially a semi-roving approach with the chop worm and the worm, that also is a method that you can cover the water quite quickly. You fish a peg for an up to about an hour and a half or so. It's kind of based on the matchman's technique, actually. What they do is often at the start of a match, if it's a perch holding river or canal, they will get feed chop worm that start and then they're also feeding the other parts of the peg that they're going to fish later on but the perch is a predator and it's going to home in quickly on what they've fed so if there's anything there you can catch quite quickly so you tend to get put some chop worm in feed maggots over the top or something like that and if there's anything there you will catch fairly quickly 
But of course, when you're fishing by yourself, firstly, you can choose your own pegs. And secondly, when it's not doing much or you've caught what you're going to catch out of it, you can then move on and try another peg. So in the course of a day, you can fish four or five prime spots and in that way cover the water quite quickly. And I would have thought on from what I've seen of the most of the waters I've fished, you only really need a couple of goes. You'll get a feel. You sh- if there's any perch there, you should catch them. And if they're only small ones, you will soon find out. But if there's any bigger ones there, they will soon muscle in amongst the smaller ones. In fact, you used to get this phenomenon of catching one or two medium-sized fish quite quickly and then the big ones will muscle in and you might catch two or three, two or even three pounders very quickly. You might think you're on for a catch of a lifetime and suddenly they kind of stop and you start catching the medium ones all over again. But you can, as I say, semi-rove along but of course you kind of want a feature when you're doing that to fish to. If you're just doing it in the middle of open water, why should they be there if you see what I mean? And that's where the lure and the drop shotting technique will probably find fish out in the middle of open water. So I suppose it depends on the sort of water you're fishing and its nature. If it's obvious where, or it looks obvious where they are, you can probably just go straight onto the chopped worm. If it's a more featureless water, but you've heard that there's fish there, maybe try the lures or the drop shotting and then gravitate onto the worm fishing afterwards. You've talked about chop worms to attract the perch, and of the bigger perch also following the smaller silverfish about. Is there any mileage then in using ground bait specifically aimed at attracting the smaller silverfish, looking for a knock-on effect with the perch? I've never actually bothered with trying to attract the silverfish, because I think just the maggots going in is good enough. We actually used a free line for perch, with just maggots on the hook. You fed the maggots and the perch would come up for the maggots anyway, you'd look for a perch taking the maggot and then you'd just like swing it in. And I've also seen a similar thing. I once fished on the River Trent with a friend and we actually fished on a point. And he was telling me, oh, you get perch at your feet. If you flick your maggots in, they come for them. And they're quite decent ones. So just flicked a few maggots in and within five, ten minutes, these perch had come from nowhere and you saw there were one or two decent ones in there. So what I then did was I must have had some worms with me. He must have told me we were fishing where there was perch. And so I probably just put a bait dropper of chopped worms in the side, mixed with maggots. A few yards down the bank, so I've got a little bit of leeway. And then just put a tiny little block end feeder on with a worm, cast it in. And then you sort of like keep doing that and keep moving your bakes because they like a bit of movement. Before you know it, identical pattern to what happens when you can't see what's going on. They're coming for the maggot straight away and then they'll run homing on the smell of the chopworm on the bottom or something like that. So you do see articles where people say, oh, feed maggots with the small silverfish. But in many ways, the bigger perch are going to find them anyway. But probably each to their own. It may well be horses for courses. As I say, I've only really had success out of one river and each water will be separate. But from what I've seen... Feeding maggots and getting some chopworm in is, is all you really need to do. And if they're within a reasonable distance, they will find it quite quickly. If it takes you, say, about an hour and a half before you get your first fish, that's probably all you're going to get. It probably means there's only literally one or two in the area. But if there's numbers, you'll get that competition element. The predators, they're not going to pass up an easy meal. They're not going to be quite as fussy as 
sort of your more normal coarse fish. So, yeah, certainly using a bit of ground bait can't do any harm as well. As I already know from talking to salmon anglers, the subject of worms is a topic all of its own. The word worm being an all-encompassing term for a whole range of sizes and species. So is there anything here in particular worth mentioning on the subject with specific regard to the perch? Yeah, alright, okay, that's an interesting thing actually. I've ordered worms over the internet, believe it or not, and it's been perfectly fine. The matchmen, they tend to actually go by weight of worms. They'll do things like a quarter of a kilo or something like that, which is basically about half a pound, and they'll come in a tub and... What they tend to use is worms called dendrobenas. They're the ones they tend to chop up. They may well, because they're matchmen, fish a small piece of worm. They're just trying to catch what they can. I tend to just use lobworms because they're nice and big and wriggly. They are expensive, I have to say. I think I used to pay something like 14 or £15 pound on the internet for about 100 of them. So they're not cheap, so I I used to be a bit of a cheapskate and sometimes cut them in two (laughs) and use them. As regards hook, though, I just used to use a size 8 hook. And with the worm, you need to use a barbed hook, otherwise it's going to wriggle off or it'll mask the hook going home. It actually reminds me of one thing, that when I perch fished, and obviously people know that when they catch small ones, you do tend to get the odd casualty because they've been hooked down the throat. One thing I always carried with me was a pair of forceps. And the hooks I would use wouldn't be that strong in the overall scheme of things. They were strong enough, but they were light enough that I could bend them with the forceps if I needed to get the hook out of the gristly bit down their throat. And to be honest, other than the very smallest perch, I can't say I ever had a casualty when when I did that but you don't want to be messing about with disgorges and things like that. You've, at a certain point, you've just got to say, I've got to sacrifice the hook and it'll bend under the, the pressure of the forceps. And as I say, never saw any casualties, so it was obviously doing the trick. But yes, sort of sourcing worms, you'll find tackle shops certainly do the dendrobenas commonly, but you won't necessarily get them selling lobworms in maybe the quantities you want. As I say, I used to order them over the internet and keep them in bait boxes where I'd actually torn up strips of newspaper and wetted them through, put them in the fridge. They would survive there quite happily for months. I sometimes try to feed them a bit. I feel I've got to feed them something, so give them a bit of mashed potato, but it didn't seem to make an awful lot of difference, really. As I say, you just got them nice and clean and wriggly. But yeah, sourcing good worms, I suppose it's one of the reasons why people haven't many wise caught perch. They might fish maggots, but worms are a bit of a thing of the past in some ways. And you rate worms as one of the top baits then for the perch? Well, I think it depends how good a fisherman you are, to be honest, really. When I used to fish on the Lee, and there was a, a father and son that used to fish there, and actually the, the son is now in the angling press all the time. Just the other week, he'd had a four and three quarter pound perch out of the Lee on the lures, and they were terrific at it. You know, you could tell they'd really learned the method and all the rest of it. I remember one place I used to fish and I got a couple out of it and then the next time I fished for the perch on the on the worm, probably got about 20 out of it. But it was one of the things I always think with lure fishing, am I actually covering the killing area properly, if you see what I mean? There's sort of like under the feet, you know, they might not be there. So you've got to go through the best the area properly. But as I say, this drop shotting technique, it does sound 
very interesting thing to explore. I've not tried it yet and I, I need to give it a go, but it does sound a good way of exploring swims as a, a very good halfway house. You do sometimes see articles in the Anglin Press about people using things like little dead baits and even prawns and things like that, but I sometimes think this is more a case of um, just with being something a little bit different. I would always go for something that is live. The other thing about perch as well is like the classic time for perch is in the autumn like you fish the seasons and I think in the summer they're probably feeding on small fish but as the autumn goes on and they start they probably start getting a bit more inactive that's when the worms seem to come into their own but once you get right into the middle of winter and you've got the proper cold water the worm is nowhere near as effective what you tend to get then is during the day you might just get the odd pull or something it's having a bit of a go and then as it starts to go dark they come on for a bit of a feed and you can almost set your watch by them probably an hour and a bit before sunset they might start feeding and then about half an hour after sunset that's it you know you're getting a one a chuck and suddenly it reaches half an hour after sunset that's it over and done with but that's the time when the lures and so on. And you can also use things like little live baits if you're into that sort of thing. That's when they seem to really work. You've got that movement and the fish can't resist it. But I think in terms of quantities, once you can find the pegs, you will catch more on worms. But obviously the lures find more potential pegs or whatever. A couple of quick supplementary questions now on what you've just said. The first is, can a worm be too big? The second being that with legislation as it currently stands, where does live bait fishing fit into the grand scheme of things these days? Well, certainly on the worms, you can't use one that's big enough. I have actually used little live baits, and I have actually caught a perch at a three or four ounces to have engulfed a one ounce roach. They have massive mouths of perch. When they fully open it, they will take anything. In fact, I knew somebody that when he perched, he used to use two lobworms. <laughs> but I think I was just a little bit of a cheapskate. I knew the fish were there. You got this pattern where the, the bigger fish moved in. It didn't really make an awful lot of difference. You know, you might get a, a one ounce of tackling a lobworm. <laughs> so you might as well use a smaller one. As regards the little live baits, it's down to yourself plus of course like these days you're not allowed to move fish so you've got to catch them where you are and of course not all waters are suitable for it anyway i've seen people using them where they sort of rove along with them and it's a sort of a good way of searching them out but as i say i think these actually using lures of these drop shotting will be just as effective if not better plus the other thing on little live baits when you have tried them you do get quite a lot of mistakes that, whether it's smaller fish or down to you're just using a single hook or something like that but you are allowed to use them the law's been changed i can't remember exactly how many it is it's like eight to ten or something like that but from what i've seen you don't necessarily need to use them if you're trying to catch them in the depths of winter when they're most effective well it's that's the hardest time to catch them in the first place what about other potentially useful techniques such as for example float fishing as I say, I'm no coarse fisherman, but all my recollections of perch are always of catching them under the float. 
Have you any tips then on float choice, fishing depth and shotting patterns? Yes, I actually say float fishing would be a very, very effective method. The one thing obviously with float fishing is that you can fish off the bottom. The nature of the water I fished, because it was reasonably wide and deep, it was far more suited to fishing on the feeder. I just used to use a very small block end, as light as I could get, with the biggest holes possible, used to fish it on a paternoster with about a three foot tail and you used to get great bites as well like you get the articles where they talk about or perch are very wary of resistance but from my experience that's not the case but of course these days people seem to think that all fishing involves fishing with three and four round ball rigs and things like that and I, I don't think I would want to do it as I say when you get the big perch and they give you a right old wanging bite on your quiver tip yeah, I won't miss that for anything. But certainly float fishing, you do have that scope to be able to fish off the bottom. And so you control it properly. Like I'd imagine pole fishing in the rat would be absolutely terrific against some of the bushes and things that you like to fish against. The only difficulty, obviously, is roving with a pole. It might be not the easiest sort of thing to do. But yes, and you can use quite a big float as well when you have done it. I still use the same size eight hook. Like when you're young, you had the classic perch bobber float. When I've perched, I've used more of a, I think more of a chubber type float or something like that. And yes, if when a perch grabs it, it just disappears off into the depths. So yes, if you can do that, I think you've just got to look at your individual water and how you can fish it. As I say, I only like fishing on the tip and the, the feeder because you're controlling how much your bait was going. And when your floats there, you kind of well, you've got to you're feeding, you swim from the top down, your maggots might be dropping through the water and the fish might be at the top of the water and your bait's at the bottom or something like that. But if, if you're only fishing in a relatively shallow water, then it probably doesn't make a difference. And the other, sport, the other thing about float fishing is when you start getting the tugs and things like that, when you've, they're finally starting to go off, on things like the pole, that will convert that into a fish that you would never catch on the tip anyway. So you, it may well be a method for getting far more fish out of a peg but it just depends on the nature like the place I used to fish one of the best things I used to catapult to bushes on the far side and it, it was right at the limit of my catapulting range so you really were forced to tip fish but if you can float fish close in there was one bush on one side and yes you could float fish it if if the flow was still slow enough that you could kind of just hold your float there that was great I'd also suppose that subtle shotting patterns would make much difference with aggressive feeders like perch but what sort of distance above the bottom would you be aiming to fish? I would say you can have your bait on the bottom or just off, but no more than a foot off bottom. Shotting pattern, as crude as anything, bulk shot, foot and a half or so from the hook. Just get it down at the bottom. The perch tend to be on the bottom. They don't mind deep water at all, the perch. As I say, they like to chase a small fish, but they will keep out of the way as well. So they like deeper water from where they've got roots from bushes and things like that whereas I say boats and things the cover of the, the overhead boat that they didn't seem to be attracted to that nowhere near as much and what about the more novel approaches you mentioned for example using prongs and I've taken a lot of perch over the years on the fly all right well I've never tried fly fishing I've never boat fished for them I imagine yes people have caught catches out of Midlands trout reservoirs for quite a long time 
I suppose it's just finding the fly patterns to use. As I say, I've never done it, but I'm sure the articles are out there that would enable you to do that sort of thing and you would cover the water quickly. I think that is often the key to perch. Be prepared to cover the water. They are in pockets, but when you do find the pockets, you will catch quickly. They're not fussy and big fish are just as easy, if not easier, to catch than the the little ones because they're top of the pecking order. They will just muscle in. What would you recommend in the way of hand tackle? I think you just need to use a reasonably meaty float rod, not a really light one. People say perch fight hard, but they don't really. They're never going to break you up or anything like that. You can quite happily fish with four or five pound line. Like I say, you want to strike your hook on. Because of a predator, you don't need to go down to really fine stuff. I don't think they're particularly tackle shy or anything like that. I just use a standard quiver tip rod. Probably a three or four ounce tip, and as I say, you used to get great big winding bites. Just what you'd call normal fishing, maybe step it up just a touch, but not too much. Can perch at any time be line shy? Say if you was using a line with some degree of visibility, or even braid, which is now finding its way into certain aspects of coarse specimen hunting. I can't say I've ever considered that. As I said, they don't seem to be particularly fussy. I think for lure fishing... This is where things like braid come into it all because you don't you have that lack of stretch and you want to sort of feel what's going on. I say I've not done it enough to know, but I do believe people do use braid when they lure fish so you can feel what's going on. As regards line, well, you can always use fluorocarbon. Perch don't seem too fussy, but I do know from having floater fished for carp and use things like anchored crusts and things like that you can definitely see the difference between fluorocarbon and mono because when you fish an anchored crust your line's going from the bottom to the surface and on mono you could kind of see the fish coming in and you could always tell the ones that were going to take and you could always tell the ones that were going to swing away but on fluoro you get fish coming in and you get quite a lot of panics right at the last second so they did see it but they saw it nowhere near as much it's one of them things that sort of, well, it might give you a slight edge, it might give you a bit of confidence, it's probably not really necessary, but in some ways you should really be doing it because it is slightly better. On the subject of visibility, has water clarity any part to play in fishing for big perch? Oh, absolutely. In fact, it's one of the key sort of things. One of the things I've noticed is when you see articles about people fishing on commercials, they talk about very fine bites even on the flows and they talk about perch being very wary of resistance but actually I have a feeling what it is it's the coloured water so for example when I used to fish on the lee perfect sort of clarity would be probably about two and a half feet or something like that actually if it was crystal clear that was fine as well the only thing is when you got it really crystal clear it probably meant you'd start in getting all the frosts and things like that which will then start tending to knock them off. But at two and a half foot, it was clear, but there was still a slightest tinge, and obviously there was still that little bit of flow, and it's fining down, so they're getting their appetite back. The first clarity you would actually start to catch them at would be if you had about a foot, and it would still look quite coloured at that point. I flicked maggots in the side, and I'd count down how long it would take if I couldn't see them, and... I did actually play around with a bucket and dropping maggots in a bucket and a ruler 
and found out how quickly the maggots dropped and it turned out it was about a foot, took about eight seconds. So you could do a maggot countdown test. I only felt comfortable perch fishing when I'd started getting, say, 12 to 15 seconds of countdown, like about a foot and a half to two foot, and then two and a half foot, which was about 20 seconds, was absolutely perfect. And as I say, on the commercials, they talk about getting very fine bites, but I'm sure it's not because the perch is feeling the resistance of the float. I think it's because you're fishing in very coloured water, and that's what's putting them off, if you see what I mean. So yeah, clarity is an important thing, as well as the temperature in the winter. You're great in, say, middle of October to sort of maybe the start of December, but from December onwards, you need generally speaking mild weather and then the back end of the season when things normally warm up that can be another excellent time as well and in the depths of winter if you are going to go for them that's when it seems that the lure fishing and the drop shotting that's when that probably comes into its own by the sound of things then small day ticket waters present the best chance these days of getting to grips with specimen perch if nothing else they present themselves as a useful shortcut to success whether or not that's a good or bad thing is not for me to comment on. They exist and must therefore be factored into the equation. So what are your thoughts then on the matter? I don't personally fish them. I've had socials on them and things like that. And you've actually had quite a nice... I suppose it's just how well they've been done or whatever. If they've been more mature and they've been nice and grassy and something like that, you know, yeah, they're not so bad. Whereas sometimes it's just like a, a hole in the ground in a farmer's field and that, that's not my sort of thing. Obviously, some of these places are probably way too heavily stocked, but each to their own, I guess. In some ways, then, are they not comparable to naughty big fish trout waters such as Abington, where rather than putting in the work, you can actually buy a chance of instant success, which, though I've done it, to me devalues what fishing should all be about. I'm not so sure about that, because obviously, your places like your stock trout lake will have been stocked with very big fish. Whereas you can guarantee that, okay, sometimes fishery owners might put big fish in that they've come from somewhere else. But often they may well have put small perch in in the first place and they've sort of grown on to be these really big monsters. And also in perch fishing, you are actually tracking them down as well. You know, you you have to do a little bit of research before you go there and all the rest of it. And as I say, like some waters have them some waters don't so yes if you don't mind the surroundings if you've done your homework and you succeed then your plans work basically and I think you can always congratulate yourself and it's just sort of whether you want to be there or I suppose if there's a very famous water whether you want to be sort part of the so-called circus that might fish it but yeah it's just whether they're your sort of fishery I suppose but I can imagine it'd be quite rewarding say to catch out of them and presumably, where only small fish were introduced, there will have been optimum big perch conditions such as lots of prey fish and no other predators. Well, absolutely. As I said, there's no way that commercial fishery owners are going to put pike in their lakes that are going to eat their expensive stockfish. And commercials don't like keep nets. If they had that, then perch would have a fantastic time with little roach and things like that that have been in keep nets. But the quality of water in some of these places, it may be that the fish aren't in the best of health so this probably helps the perch as well as i say if i was fishing a commercial i'd be trying this drop shotting method it would enable you to search the water quite quickly you won't be casting lures about the place which would annoy other course anglers 
you could go on the chopworm method as well be fun and games hooking a carp or something like that you know on your your four or five pound line but i don't think they necessarily muscle the perch out of the way can he perhaps suggest a few waters wild or stocked as a starting point for a big perch hunt it depends on what sort of fishery you like fishing i suppose i think the key is you have to find one that's got the numbers of fishing i think i don't think you're going to get too many waters where you just get like the odd really big perch there seems to be waters where you just seem to get them in numbers and you've just got to do your research to find them i'd be inclined for things like maybe canals or slow flowing lowland rivers which have features to them where you can sort of fish to these features and then you can soon judge whether they are worth persevering with even if you ignore what i've been saying about lures and drop shotting if you just rove along with putting chopworming in, in likely pegs, by the time you've had a couple of goes, you will soon know. I, I know when I used to fish on the lead, there was certain, you call them pounds, because it had all been like, for flood relief, it had all been deepened and widened. And it would go along, and then at a certain point, you'd come to a lock, and there'd be a lock house, and on one side of it, you'd have the lock, and the other side, there'd be a little weir pool, and sort of rejoin each other very shortly thereafter and then you get the next pound and it might be a different character but I know there was one of them that it looked absolutely perfect yet when I fished it and I did get the odd decent fish out of it but you just knew it was different from the other ones you fished so if you are prepared to say rove along and adopt the matchman type approach but in the pegs you want to fish and you can fish a number of pegs in the day you will soon judge your water and then it's down to the aesthetics of the water you're going to fish then, as I say, do as much research as you can. And because perch are a predator, you will soon find out if they are there or not. Have you heard of anyone ever picking them up on high-protein baits, such as pellets or boilies? I've never heard of it. So this is the thing, I think, these days, that the sort of fish can be anywhere, big fish, but they're certainly not everywhere. Even if you've never heard of big fish on that they still might be there but are you prepared to be that pioneer or are you going to at least have a snippet to build on like with me the interesting thing is that i live down north of london and i moved down there in 1987 and i stopped working 2005 and up to that point i'd fluked out two or three two pounders when i was like tench fishing or bream fishing or something on the maggot but i had seen things in the angling press. I remember one somebody, and I'd fancied trying to catch a big perch. I remember seeing somebody saying, oh, this was their 50th two-pounder they'd had out of the lee that year. And I'm thinking, where on earth were they fishing? But I just got to start from Bailey from one of the stretches. He says, oh, they've been catching these great big perch by the rowing club. So I gave it a go, and I'd obviously realised what would be a good method. I tried it, and it worked straight away. And then somebody said to me, but well, somebody's got a four pound perch up at Rye House. And I used to commute in from the railway station. It was a mile from my home every day. And I'd fished it once when I first moved and I caught a bleak something, first ever bleak. Turned out it was probably the best stretch that I'd fished. I sort of had lots of like two and three pounders there. It was a mile from my house, and yet it was 18 years before I actually seriously fished it. And once you had the method of moving along, you soon realised, yeah how good it was but it wasn't every peg that was the thing you fish the feature pegs and you listen to the other anglers where they might have had the bonus fish and so on and so forth but uh, yeah the waters are definitely out there and it's just 
getting that start, I think, and then sort of having the belief that you can do it. So what kind of numbers and sizes did you end up catching there? Well, I fished the Lee for about four or five seasons, and I mainly fished... There was two pounds I fished. One of them was this right house stretch, and then there was the next village up, but there was nothing in between. It was all one long stretch. And then there was one further up at... uh, a place called Were, and it was slightly quicker. And I also fished at Broxbourne, where it was also slightly quicker as well, not quite as deep. But in that four or five seasons, I probably had at least 40, maybe not 50, three-pound pluses in that time. Obviously, lots of two-pounders, a couple of four-pounders, but that seemed to be at about the limit on the lead, notwithstanding somebody that I know that sort of caught one of four and three-quarters. It was uncanny how everybody's personal best that actually did try for them it was four pound of literally an ounce or two over it seemed to be that was almost the limit but in terms of numbers the best i ever did was probably five or six two pound pluses in a day but three or four no problem at all it was just like the pockets that they were in in terms of quantity i had the odd day when you had 20 pound plus all told or something like that and it would be non-stop hectic action for a couple of hours but normally out of a peg if you started catching fairly quickly on it by the end of your hour and a half that was your, your time was over it's like the matchman thing they'd fish for the perch for the first hour of the match and they go on to the other species they caught what they wanted to catch in terms of perch out of the first hour they might revisit the peg but yeah they were fabulous fishing as i said it's also like the beauty of them as well if you get a three pounder pop into the surface or something that's in prime condition it is a truly glorious fish it really is In my opening comments, I mentioned the near extinction of perch in the UK due to the devastating effects of shallow ulcer disease and the fact that after a very long time they've managed to bounce back. So what exactly is the current status now in 2013? Well, the current status seems to be that if you want to catch a big perch, now's the time to do it. You can look in the angling press every week and you will get a number of big fish for a number of big waters all around the country so they are there. I think I said earlier on, I suspect we may be on a situation where we're on a second or third generation thing where we've kind of just got the sweet spot where you've got the numbers of fish but not yet the competition, which may drive down sizes. Obviously, I don't really know what it was like prior to the perch disease. I was only just starting to fish then. But you didn't seem to get from what I remember talking about big fish here there and everywhere and obviously back in those days lots more people fish with things like maggots and worms there was no people using pellets and boilies and even something like sweet corn so things have certainly changed but yeah some of these waters they've produced great big fish and in numbers you can name a number of rivers certainly in the the south like i said the lee the thames were sort of producing loads of fish in the winter time from some of the weir pools uh, the Kennet, the Grey Twos, and you even now I have a guy in the writes in the Anglin Times, a guy called Des Taylor, and he's described drop shotting on a river like the Severn and catching loads of fish out of it. So if you're starting to catch out of a river out of the Severn, who's to say what you might catch? Is the current explosion in big perch because of shallow ulcer disease or despite it? I think. My best guess is it's probably kind of a result in some ways in that the fish that survived, as I say, for a fish to grow big, it needs plenty of food, 
and not much competition and obviously the first ones that recover they will have virgin waters to go at the only question is are there enough of them for anglers to sort of find out about them and catch them but when they breed that next generation that's probably when you get the numbers of the big fish and finally you will probably settle down it's difficult to difficult to see what would happen going forward you obviously have things like crayfish in a lot of the southern rivers and things like that so it will be difficult to really tell what's going to happen going forward so as a trend it might still have somewhere to run Funnily enough, for the biggest perch, it's been for quite a few years now. Obviously, it all depends on the waters that produce the very biggest fish. At one point, it was the Grey Twos. Then secondly, it was the Thames. And they may be a generation, because predators don't tend to live as long as prey fish. A predator, once it can't catch fish, it's not going to survive very long, really. Whereas you can catch manky or chub and bream and things like that, find a nice, quiet thing. And if there's no natural predators to to mop them up quickly they can survive for quite a long time whereas you don't tend to get many battered old perch or anything like that you know once they can't compete they're not going to last very long i suppose it's just looking for up and coming waters all the time and obviously you've got to be reasonable about your own locality like obviously the further north you go there's maybe not as many smaller fish or not as warmer so you don't get as many invertebrates that get them going but then having said that i've seen people reporting numbers of big four pound perch out of scottish locks so it's just a particular circumstances in terms of growth potential how does the uk population compare to that on the near continent i don't really know all i know in terms of sizes and things that i believe they've caught perch like 70 maybe even eight pound fish on the continent which makes you wonder how much further they might go in this country certainly a year or two ago, there were people in this country reporting a lot of £5-plus perch, certainly from rivers like the Thames. Obviously, word was getting out about the commercials and things like that. In this country, like the record now £6.3, whether it has further to go, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm not convinced about an £8-pounder, but a big £6-pounder, I think, is quite possible. Yeah, certainly. I was actually going to ask you about your friend and his perch record. What's his name, by the way? Neil Stephen. And his record, possibly, isn't that safe then, do you think? Well, it's interesting that the perch record, for starters, is actually shared by two people. I said my friend that holds the perch record, this Neil Stephen, he, he actually caught it from a commercial fishery that was actually known for them. But the other record has actually come out of Wilston Reservoir which is a famous water that's actually produced giant tench record in the past for example and that's a great big reservoir like good luck to the guy that's fishing it it's as windswept as anything not the most comfortable uh, fishing environments but the fact that there's two fish sure in the record kind of tells you something and the backup fish aren't far behind some records you can kind of say the record is out of reach it's so much bigger than the others but the perch record you've kind of got the back up between like if you if you had a perch record that you felt was out of reach i think you'd be thinking seven pound you think oh there's just no way but there is scope certainly for it to uh creep up and who's to say what might be lying out there i would have said commercial fishers in general won't really appeal to the all-rounder type and and all-rounders are probably becoming a bit 
fewer on the ground as more people go carp fishing and they get older and there's been this phenomenon of fish getting bigger and bigger especially in the south but fewer and fewer of them so the sort of people that might go pursuing them aren't as common in fact they always reckon that the two fish were the general angler might break the record are the perch and potentially the chub because that big chub can come out of almost anywhere really it's difficult to there aren't too many stretches i know one where yes you kind of got the crowd fishing gate to a two mile stretch of the river lee which is producing eight and even nine pound fish but it's difficult to think of others you've mentioned the river lee a lot and the fact that it's warmer in the south of england which obviously is beneficial to fish growth but you're now resident up here in lancashire again so are there any prospects of big perch up here in the northwest? Well, actually, I think there is. As I say, I do love perch fishing. At the moment, I've got my chub and barbel head on, and I think in terms of fishing, I just like going fishing on the River Ribble for them. But as things change, it may well be worth a go. And I do actually have one or two waters that I would give a go. Like, one obvious one, and this is by search on the internet, would be the Southport Anglers Drains Round Southport because they've got two or three drains, like the Crossens and ones that are actually drains as well. You look on their website and there's, photographs. there's a number of photographs of people with £2 perch and things like that. You know, like a £2 perch is not, not to be sniffed at. There's the quantity there. That's the main thing. You can see the quantity. It has to be worth a go. I'd even think about the ribble in the tidal, because there's lots and lots of small roach and dace these days. Like the ribble wouldn't be noted for them, but some of the tidal water, I think within a go or two, if it's decent conditions, sort of um, classic autumn conditions, you know, when the temperature's starting to drop but it's not got too cold, that would be very interesting to try. And even some of these rivers have cleaned up, something like a, a smaller river like the Douglas, something like that, that might be kind of interesting to give a go. It's very featureless and, okay, it can be very tidal down the bottom end, but... It's the sort of one that you just need to hear that kind of snippet to get you going. But certainly the, the what I call the crossing system has definitely got them and you've seen the evidence and it's, it should just be a case of going out there. And the question is, because it's an open drain, do you sort of just go onto the chopworm or do you actually try to search them out and try to find the distribution along the drains? And, and would you go out trying to do some lure fishing or some drop shotting or something like that? to try to find where they are, but that would be the sort of thing. On the lake, it's pretty much all boat fishing, but they get a lot of fish in the two to three pound bracket, plus bigger ones, of course, so I'll keep you informed on that one. Meanwhile, a very big thank you for your contribution here. Mm-hmm.